Hello everyone and welcome back to The Aspect. In episode 5 I talk with Nolita Mvunello, a program manager at the Club of Rome building global initiatives towards regenerative ecosystems, looking at economic, financial, innovation, cultural and intergenerational approaches to systems transformation. She co-led the global youth engagement program called The 50%. Nolita is a chemical engineer by training and has previously led a social enterprise, incubator, co-created and contributed to local and global youth entrepreneurial programs and worked at an edtech startup. I loved this conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. The glasses, how smart. <laughs> you see, I've got a brand chef. I've got a brand going for me. I, love I can't, it. can't be caught slipping. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Aspect Podcast. I hope you're all doing well today. On this episode, I am joined by Nalita, and I'm really, really excited to talk to you today, Nalita, because, first of all, you're just very cool. Second of all, you work with an organization that I have been really interested about. I've had the privilege of meeting the co-president, and in fact, this organization has recently been popping up in my own thesis research. Welcome to the podcast, Nalita. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you Not for having no me today. Thank you for agreeing to come on. You're a very busy woman. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's a bit rainy, but I'm good. And can you please tell our listeners where you are based today? I'm joining you from Cape Town, South Africa. Can you tell me one good thing that's happened to you this week? That's a good question. Oh, I mean, I got my visa back. I was worried about that. <laughs> Happy days. We got good paperwork day. <laughs> yeah. And one good thing in my week, I'm going to say, I wrote 600 words for my thesis yesterday. Oh, that's impressive. It doesn't sound like a lot, and I promise you it's not, but it was a big deal for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I know it's a big deal. Writing is a thing for me also. So It's, it's horrendous. Like, I want to cry, but I'm not going to <laughs> because I'm interviewing you today. Anyway, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what it is you do, and please introduce the organization that I've so far kept totally ambiguous? Well, starting with introducing myself, I, uh, well, based in Cape Town, as we discussed earlier, I am a chemical engineer by training. And so in my undergrad, I trained as a sanitation engineer, um, process engineering for um, one of the biggest metropolitan municipalities in South Africa. Then I left university to process engineer for Unilever in one of the factories. And now I'm with the Club of Rome working as a program manager. On How exciting. <laughs> yeah. Throughout all of this, I've been, I'm particularly interested in um, innovation, social entrepreneurship, and how we could use that to trigger syst systemic transformation. I mean, being a chemical engineer, I am very interested in, you know, processes and making things mm -hmm. like it checks. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> things making things different and better from what they were before. Yeah. But I found social entrepreneurship to be very aspirational in the fact that it's not just business as usual, but business for a purpose, mm -hmm. which is something that's very necessary in a country like mine, which is South Africa, where we don't need business as usual. We mm -hmm. need people to be engaged in the work of transforming society, particularly with the inequalities that we face. Yeah. So the opportunity to then be with the Club of Rome was like, a, okay, this is great. Um, I get to be more engaged in the work of systems transformation, which mm -hmm. is what the Club of Rome does, engaging in systems thinking and systems transformation. More on the Club of Rome, it is a global think tank of reference, asking better questions of humanity from a holistic, global and long-term perspective. So it's a, it's a very unique space. Tick, tick, where... tick. I love it. <laughs> It's a very unique space where like 
personalities, um, members from politics, academia, business, and activism come together to address global issues. Mm-hmm. And then they propose the responses for leading edge systems thinking, better said. That's so um, cool. Yeah, so it's a platform of initiatives towards the work of, you know, transforming humanity from yeah. the system of almost basically a system of collapse to a system where we can have happiness and good living Mm -hmm. and I think that's why it's come up in my research as well because I'm currently looking into the transdisciplinary academic field that is future studies and that is honestly the smartest sentence I'll ever say in my life so (laughs) I'm glad it's recorded Um, but in future studies it's the club of Rome is one of the first organizations that was built with future studies in mind which I didn't actually know I'd come across the club of Rome before specifically over the last couple of years within my master's and then when I started looking into it I was like damn they're doing some good stuff and then I actually realized oh wow because it's been around for a long long time I think um the 60s yeah 68 and um yeah it's really cool to hear the work that the club of Rome is doing the fact that they value that holistic approach value personality and people themselves I think I I really saw that as well when I met Sandrine, uh, the co-president, and she's such a she's such a cool woman. I hope she won't mind me saying. I think I said this to her face, like she's such a badass. I swear, and you can really see when you talk to people within that organization that they are really striving to do something different. So I'm really happy to have you on today. Thank you, thank you. And so my first actual question to you, um, as you can see, I'm really hyped up today. I don't know why, I think it's my thesis, but I wanna ask you, like I ask all my guests, what does sustainability mean to you? Interestingly enough, I spoke at a forum where we were discussing the dif- limitations and definitions of sustainability. Mm-hmm. And a point that I really wanted to drive home was sustainability in different framings means different things for different people, which is probably why you asked this question. To me, sustainability means a restoration and a regeneration of systems where people can have the opportunity to live in a happier life or a life of well-being Mm -hmm. a life of relational well-being that's what sustainability means to me is like finding the opportunities to increase the likelihood Mm -hmm. that more and more people can live can have good living and i love that that feels so wholesome that's just like a little (laughs) moment of like oh tranquility i love that how important do you feel youth engagement can be in the context of sustainability and building sustainable futures? It's critical. Sometimes I get surprised how many times I get asked this question because globally you have people under 30 being 52% of the overall population. So that's like asking, should we ask half of everyone, you know, if If their views matter? (laughs) Yeah, if their views matter, should they be engaged (laughs) in sustainability? I mean, an interesting point that, um, I'm not sure if I might be misquoting her, but like I had a similar discussion with Sandrine months ago mm-hmm. and she made a point about 50 years ago, people were asking the same question of women and even women are around 50% of the mm-hmm. population. It's like, it's, it's such That's an obvious point. and I'm kind of impatient for the time we get to the point where it isn't obvious that we need to be engaging young people in the work of restoring their communities and their countries to a more sustainable system. It's a no brainer. I yeah. guess. Do you, is that how you define the youth under 30? Because I know it's a contested term. There's, yeah, there's different definitions, right? I think in my country, it's 35 and under. Yeah, 35 to 18, because then under 18 is child. Is children, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm having to research this for my master's thesis. Like one of the big things I'm having to look into is this contested nature around the term, the youth. 
And it's really interesting because there is no universal definition. But one thing I am glad we've settled on is that there's a Sandrine fan club <laughs> in this room. <laughs> and so if she if she ever listens to this, I hope that makes her day. I see what you mean about it being a no brainer. And I like to ask people, not because I disagree, of course, the youth should be involved and they are incredibly important in building sustainable futures. But I like to hear about, for example, people's impatience with this idea and how the fact that we sit here and think, yeah, it is a no brainer. So why isn't it happening? Like, why are we not seeing more youth and young people and young voices being included on an equal platform in decision making and policy making arenas? Do do you have an answer for that or an idea? I mean, it's a complicated one, and that's probably why it isn't a simple answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first one being that there, there is an assumed inexperience, which in some yeah. cases is true, in some, in most cases is not, right? Let me use an example of up to 30. So if we look at people between the ages of 23 to 30, these are people who are ranging in like career experience mm-hmm. between one year to you know, more. And then many of us have been engaged in the work of sustainability advocacy, or, you know, for me, it has been in the space of social entrepreneurship, etc, from the age of 19. Mm -hmm. You're speaking of people who are in careers, they're they're not heading towards careers, they're in careers, developing strategies towards issues that they see, they're developing ideas, etc. And so there's a bit of a complexity there. Because once you say young, you assume that this person will already be in a position that is less powerful than other people. Mm -hmm. And it is the case in terms of resources. Because of age, you haven't had time to accrue the necessary networks, necessary different types of capital to have the influence you'd want to have. Mm -hmm. And that's where the importance of the intergenerational dialogues comes in, is in sharing the learnings, but also where can we optimize for the different initiatives that are happening across different age groups. Yeah. The collaboration is important. The learning, the sharing of learning in both directions is important. The complexity comes from basically the nature of that. Um, many societies are still incredibly paternalistic when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to then get past that dynamic. Yeah. And there are parts where that it's it's necessary to have someone with even more experience to say, I don't think that this is a way to go. Yeah. It's a dynamic, it's a relationship like most of. And I think that stigma surrounding how the youth are actually perceived is one of those narratives that needs systemic change and that takes time. So whilst I think we have seen a bit of progress over the last decade because of the rise in youth activism, it still has so long to go. You don't see many people who look like you because you don't see many young people participating in these arenas. Then young people automatically might sit back and say, well, I don't have a place there. No, that's very true. And I think also because of the evolving understanding of what type of engagement is necessary Mm -hmm. um, over time, then like you're saying, the want happy, being happy to be involved will change and like progress to being something incredibly more meaningful. Five years ago, it was very much, I mean, it still is the case, like the youth protesting is, was like the, probably the main and the only way that young people were Mm -hmm. being even heard in what is happening I think there is an evolving understanding that like there is an opportunity for collaboration and is an opportunity for innovation and a critical thing important thing for me now like you're saying about young people not being aware of what it is they can do if they should do anything mm-hmm. is finding and creating opportunities for young people to liberate themselves in their capacity to do something yeah as we evolve in the different and we increase the spread the buffet of things that 
um, can contribute, our understanding of the things that young people can contribute to sustainability, yeah. the more we create opportunities for young people to actualize into this mm-hmm. and develop a framing for what type of future they want. Because also we also assume that all young people want the same future. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. And if we do assume that all young people want the same future, we reinforce the inequalities that we criticize the older generation for. Because mm-hmm. then you create a leading class that's defining what the future is and a separate one that's probably working in a very different direction. Yeah. We have to really be more pluriversal in the futures that we're defining as young people, have better conversations with one another. Like you and me today. I mean, we have never had a reason to speak outside of this. So this yeah. is a, a, a good example of having people from very different backgrounds ex- communicating and expressing different perspectives about yeah. what a good future could be. And sharing some common ground that even if our futures look different, the idea is that we want to work towards something that's better than what we have now. I was smiling through what you were saying because it just made me so happy. A, it's literally what I'm writing about (laughs) in my work, but you make it sound way more interesting. And B, you put it perfectly. And I loved that idea of increasing the spread, the buffet spread of life to young people. Youth who are listening, life's a buffet, baby. So you got (laughs) to... Take a bit of everything. You got to try before you buy. Yeah, I like that. What a great segue into into our rapid fire questions. Thank you for that, Nalita. Okay, Nalita, it is time for the rapid fire question round. I love doing this with my guests because it gives our listeners an opportunity to find out a bit more about you as a person, most likely away from work. And I say most likely because these questions never relate to sustainability. (laughs) (laughs) but that's okay are you ready i'm ready so i won't judge you but our listeners might depending on what you answer so and don't worry you never have to know you never have to know okay (laughs) coffee or tea coffee do you prefer dogs or cats dogs but i have some cat friends So you let yourself be friends with people. Yeah, like I work with, um, surprisingly, clever room people seem to be cat people. So I know a lot of cats. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Um, (laughs) Describe your style in one word. All black. What's your favorite game of all time? Like board game or just game in general, whatever. There was a, there's a game that like, I guess it's an indigenous game. It's called Donkey, where you'd like pick a ball and like it's tag, but you throw a ball at people. It's dodgeball. Oh! That, yeah. that game doesn't get enough hype. I went feral as a child when I used to play that. <laughs> it was dangerous, but I used to be very good at it. I used to be like the last person standing. So fair enough. Thank you for, that, <laughs> for bringing me back to my childhood memories. What is your favorite color? Orange. And this is a question I try to ask my all my guests. There is a correct answer. Do you prefer blue or green? I'll say blue. I have a lot more blue clothes than green clothes. No, no one ever says green. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I, I, that's the wrong answer, but we'll move on. Okay, um, name a song that makes you happy. Oh, okay. The song that I use to get into the right mindset to like work through difficult work yeah. is um, Chance the Rapper's Never Drown, where he's with Kirk Franklin. Ooh. And it's the part where it's like, the water may be deeper than it's ever been, but never drown. And Ooh. so... <laughs> When I was in thesis writing, in honors thesis writing, I'd listen to that in the morning. I'm about to plug that in. I, <laughs> after I finish this, I'm gonna go to the library and I'm gonna, I'm gonna blast that. Um, this one's it might be a bit of a difficult one. I'm not sure. If your life was a story, what would it be titled? <laughs> Panic at the disco. No. Um... <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> 
Yeah, I need something more serious. I need. <laughs> you don't. Oh my god. It's just the fact that I'm going delirious, but that's the funniest thing I've heard all week. I swear. <laughs> oh, why am I crying over that? You don't even. I seriously, I would not come up with another title. That's amazing. <laughs> that is staying in the edit. <laughs> Okay. Where do you go when you want to be alone? Table Mountain. There's a road called Tofferberg Road that's halfway through where you can drive through there and there's yeah. benches along where you can just like watch the city. Oh, very cool. And mm. uh, totally related. What's your favorite dessert? There's a there's a supermarket that has like a chocolate sundae dessert that you buy like a little, like single serving. I love that. I probably haven't been too often. What's your favorite holiday destination if you have one? Oh, anywhere South African. And my final question what's your favorite season summer i'm a, I'm a sagittarius and sagittarius is in the southern hemisphere summer babies so i love the astrological drop i'm a scorpio so <laughs> yeah this is uh, i didn't really want to tell my listeners that but now i have you have the viewers just dropping out <laughs> now i have and now i'm gonna have a big fat zero on, on listening <laughs> That is the end of the rapid fire question round. Thank you, Lolita, for taking part. And I hope our listeners have learned something new about you. I definitely have. So thank you for that. I think they've learned a few new things about me as well. And I don't know if I'm very happy about it, but there we go. Thank you for taking part. That was one of my favorite editions of that so far. And I feel that I was losing my mind slightly. So I apologize for that. We are now moving into the second half of our chat, where we get into the nitty gritty, the hard hitting, the behind the scenes cog turning work that you are doing and that the club of rome is doing in this instance and so i want to ask you what is it that you are doing to contribute towards sustainable futures i enjoy the work of having two roles within the club of rome so this is being program manager for youth leadership and intergenerational dialogues mm-hmm. as well as the emerging youth civilizations initiative on the emerging youth civilizations initiative last year we launched a program called the fifth element which looks to address current blind spots in business, in finance, in learning and education and other different sectors that we perceive to be creating dissonance between Mm -hmm. what we know should be done for sustainability versus what is actually happening for sustainability. Um, So fostering that paradigm shift, creating um, like a mutual learning culture between different actors, hoping that there will be a mutual transformation between everyone engaging in the process and building then the responses, the projects that would address these particular blind spots. Are you able to tell me how that's going since you set it up last year? I would say very well. We've mobilized ourselves quite a caravan of institutions and individuals that are engaged in this. Um, You spoke about your master's being on transdisciplinarity. So one of the initiatives we're doing, well, we're partnered in is the Bridges Coalition that's in partnership with UNESCO's Management of Social Transformations initiative. And that's basically a cohort of academic institutions and the Club of Rome that's looking at how to bridge the relationship between sustainability sciences and humanity. So bring that transdisciplinary approach to addressing the challenges of humanity today. Mm -hmm. So from the element perspective, we're then trying to really understand what is the role of the humanities and sustainability sciences in a poly-crisis world? What is the role of academia and research in engaging humanity in solving these crises mm-hmm. rather than you know the business as usual as we have today yeah that's an example of that's so interesting the, the, the cool things that have happened in the past year yeah that's really cool how is it that you're harnessing the power of the youth through your work and so yeah. 
to move on to the second role that keeps you busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, in all of this, when we talk about um, systemic shift, like we said earlier, it is a core assumption that you would need to involve everyone and Mm -hmm. everyone is young people. So part of the work I do then is to um, co-lead with um, a gentleman by the name of Matias Lara in Argentina, a global platform called the 50%, you know, 52%, 50%, you know, you see the connection. The intention is to empower young people, regardless of their background, to mm-hmm. pursue a positive impact in their community, their country and globally. So we really look at the role of young people in in systems change because we believe that systems change comes from people embracing their agency to make a difference in the context. Uh, There are very few examples. I can't even think of one at the top of my head where systemic true transformation happened at the top level. But we know of very tangible examples of people who are making a difference in their circumstances, in circumstances that are typically systemically you know, excluded and disadvantaged, but mm-hmm. they've somehow created positive outcomes from themselves. What can we learn from them to create a better future? And so this is very much focused on bringing together young people engaging in the work of systems thinking and systems transformation, but also focusing on well-being and storytelling advocacy. So we run a handful of free programs in the initiative, engaging young people from all over the world. Last time I checked that Excel, we were somewhere around 35 different countries Um, engaged in some format um, and in conferences etc to discuss the work that they're doing sharing sharing ideas with each other on on what to do but also we try to find opportunities to then advocate for themselves on more global platforms Mm -hmm. whether it's the club of Rome conference or we're now looking at different opportunities such as the cops etc etc on where can we find more opportunities to democratize even the process of advocating for your community it sounds so cool i i I really love what the 50 percent is doing as well as what the club of rome is doing i wanted to ask you what is your favorite part about that role as a youth engagement program manager it's gonna sound so cliche but i really like the team (laughs) (laughs) they will be glad to hear that No, I really liked the team. Earlier I spoke about like, oh, I get very fascinated by processes, et cetera. But um, when you work with kind people who are very focused on doing good things, but also care about the people who are doing the work, you know, the number of times, of, you know, you get a text saying, it's 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 midnight. Can you can you go to sleep? Because <laughs> this is not okay. <laughs> this is not healthy. But the, the team is a living testament of this work of liberating your own capacities. Because everyone, most people, especially on the 50% platform, are working at it at a very part-time basis, mm-hmm. but have this drive to say, I think more should be happening. I think more can happen happen and so if we're speaking about um you can have a positive impact in your community the team embodies just a group of young people said i that's what i want to do and that's what i'm working on so that's what i love about it's like being a living example of like the things that we go on podcasts and preach about basically that's so sweet i love that if your team is listening then nalita gets you know a drink next time you're all out (laughs) i think how many countries is this team split between at the top of my head i think it's five at this point so we have Argentina three in Argentina two in South Africa she's just on the other side of the country but I used to hang out with her a lot when she was in Cape Town one in the US who's currently in Guatemala I believe and then one in the UK I like the fact that everyone's spread out and it's also not too Eurocentric that's quite nice to hear as well yeah that's another thing if we were to talk about like oh who we should engage etc you have 
close to 78% of people being African or Asian. And then I think when you add Latin America, the number increases significantly. And so in this work, again, when we talk about sustainability, uh, something that probably annoys a lot of people, I always ask the question, where is the center of this universe? The way we engage, we talk about liberating capacities towards sustainability. And when we talk about people having a voice on what happens in sustainability, when you recognize the fact that 80% of people are living in those regions, regions that have different characteristics in terms of socioeconomic conditions, but also the devastation that we have faced on climate. You then realize that a lot of the things that we assume about the future we want, the future that is possible, are actually contradictory to the experiences of these people. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually incredibly intentional, the fact that we try to make sure that the 50% and a lot of most, like all of our club of activities are working towards being representative of that. Um, because if we do not, then we fail at saying that we are looking for systemic transformation. Yeah. Taking it from a Western approach is not, is not necessarily going to lead us to a future that addresses inequalities, et cetera. Either. Yeah, I agree. Especially because so much climate, climate vulnerability is located outside of the Western hemisphere. And I think when you're not taking that into account and weighting it equally, if not even higher than what happens in the West, then there's no point having those conversations, uh, as you were saying, because we can't work towards a sustainable future that's not representative of those in the worst or more vulnerable conditions if we specifically look at climate. But, you know, the same goes for social sustainability economic sustainability, the US, the UK, most of Europe, they had their time to grow, they were allowed to industrialize. And it's not fair to necessarily turn around to emerging countries and say, you can't do the same thing. It's about finding ways to grow with strength rather than speed. The the, the big pink elephant in the room is um, decolonization, basically, because even when we say, when we speak of emerging young nations, it's the same dynamic when we speak about youth work. We assume that there wasn't anything before. Like mm -hmm. when we say an emerging, a young, it's as if you're speaking about people who don't have millennia of heritage like everyone else. Yeah. The more we put things in this frame of, okay, it has to look like this economically. It has to have this economic trajectory for us to then be able to understand where to assist. Then you dispossess the people who come from those places. You dispossess them of their agency to define what their future is. It creates a track towards one understanding of what a future, what modernity can look like. Um, and does not allow people the, op the opportunity to really understand that from themselves. That's so if we speak point. about a green future, when we speak about green transitions, what does that actually mean? And mm -hmm. it starts with the difference between saying developing and developed. Like, you can't say that about Africa when it is the oldest civilization ever. Again, I'm I'm going to get off my soapbox, but these are some of the dissonance, the, the, some of the dissonance that needs to be addressed when we talk about sustainability, because failing that, all we do, and this is what we've seen, this is what we continue to criticize within our industry, is that we just continue to replicate or, I guess, slightly innovate on colonial models. Mm -hmm. And that's that's unhelpful. That yeah. is why we're in this problem today. That's a really good point. It's so important to address the fact that we are still stuck in self-perpetuating narratives. If we don't change those then we also can't create systemic systemic change. We can be doing all the work. And as you said, if we're not addressing how we even talk about these things and how we're building discourse surrounding sustainable futures, again, it sort of becomes null and void because we can't 
dictate what a future or what futures look like for different civilizations and different populations. We can't put things in a box anymore. Thank you for drawing attention to that because it's a really important point that people listening might not be aware of or might forget. And one could argue that we have made some progress in terms of how we categorize different areas of the world because it used to be a lot worse, but there's still a lot of progress to be made. Yeah, I mean, in most instances, they were probably completely fine before any sort of intervention either. I'm sure you come across a lot of studies where you see that intervention probably sometimes is not helpful if it's yeah. not um, with that poor respect. At the end of the day, it's about respect. And I think mm-hmm. that like as women, we probably recognize this also from the feminist context. You recognize this, that sometimes, even if someone cognitively understands that you are equal to them, the respect just doesn't translate. What is going on? <laughs> I do think, and this is a whole other conversation, which we won't, <laughs> we won't unpack <laughs> right now, because I think we can talk for a day about this, but unconscious bias, unconscious racism, like that's still there. And I'm not saying I've had it bad, but I totally get what you mean that being a woman, being a woman of color, you face different barriers. And then relatively those barriers are different to other women of color because of socioeconomic background, because of where you've studied, if you've studied all of these contributing factors, you can't, you can't put anything in a box anymore. It it doesn't work like that. And whether it's on a nation state level or whether it's on the individual level, that was a heavy end. the end to the conversation (laughs) we have this conversation and we also recognize that we're in and thriving it's it's in the said system that we're also criticizing at the same time Mm -hmm. with the privileges that it has we haven't even touched in the conversation of indigenous people and indigenous women and what it then what sustainability then means for them Mm -hmm. Um, last year in Costa Rica, the Capricorn hosted a conference. One of the speakers said, to be honest, all we're asking for is that you leave us alone. That's incredibly significant. What is happening now is that they are not being left alone. So if we were to talk about vision, future visioning, yeah, then their perspective of the future is being ignored. Mm -hmm. I think over the last decade or so, you hear quite a few stories about new tribes and indigenous peoples being discovered in like the Amazon rainforest, for example. People going around the world and said, I found a new type of human who the hell okay (laughs) but a lot of the time they don't want to be found they were doing as you mentioned before just fine before they were found and who's to say they were lost before they weren't they were living their life (laughs) they were living their life in their version of the present and so therefore they will have their version of the future we cannot disregard the fact that different individuals different nations different corporations will have different visions of the future And if we're not integrating those into our global transition towards something sustainable, then what are we doing? Yeah. And it does make things more complex, but that's the nature of the game. That's the nature of daring to think you can do something about the world. You know? Yeah. You got to think meta. (laughs) (laughs) Panic at the disco. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. Talk about a global panic at the disco. (laughs) That's such a perfect way to summarize the world, I think, at this point in time. We've touched on a lot of things that I haven't touched on with guests before. And I'm really grateful that you've brought up what you have brought up in the conversation because 
our listeners will be able to take a lot away from this. Thanks for having me. Thank you for agreeing. Um, (laughs) Before we wrap up, we have a couple of things that we have to address. One of them being your media recommendation for listeners. So right now, I'm close to finishing Desmond Dutu's book, the former, the Archbishop who passed recently. His book, um, Made for Goodness. I am really enjoying that book. And yeah. I, the reason I'm recommending it is that when we speak about relational well-being, good living and 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 happiness, but also when we speak about our capacities to make a difference and understand mm. what is right versus what is wrong he he speaks about it in a way that is it doesn't leave room for people to be complacent but it gives grace it gives you like a sense of you know what okay i i at my core i'm i'm made for goodness and and that's the case with everyone it's a book about trusting the humanity in everyone and if we're going to talk about um the future visioning that we need to be integrating mm-hmm. a critical part of that is to look at people as people who are made for goodness then your capacity to respect them is so much higher. Sounds like everyone needs to read this bloody book. (laughs) (laughs) Being able to see the good in people, come on, pick it up. (laughs) Thank you for that. That sounds really, that sounds really wholesome and sounds like it would leave you in such like positive spirits with a bit of optimism that I think we all need at this point in time. So thank you for sharing that. And my final question to you, Nalita, of our very cool conversation. I'd like to know what call to action you would like to leave listeners with. To be bold in the work of imagining something different, to be creative, to be explorative. Some of the challenge, some of the problems we have is that we've lost our ability to imagine a better future. It's easier for us to imagine what a dystopian future could look like versus what a good future could look like. So to be bold, to be courageous, to really challenge what the space for possibilities is, because it's much broader than we believe it is. I love that. I love that so much. And that is literally what my thesis is about. So thank you for giving me some self-assurance that I'm not talking a load of BS in in my thesis. And I know I'm generalizing, but people sometimes think it's stupid to imagine something better because of how bad things are now. Like, how could it possibly be better? You you sound so naive, you sound so stupid thinking that it can get better than this. Actually, anything's possible. If we've plunged ourselves into this, I think there's a possibility of us getting out of it. Because if we can assume that something better is possible, then we can damn well try and work towards it. I have absolutely loved this conversation. You've put me in the best mood for the rest of my day. And I hope <laughs> you've done the same for our listeners. Listeners, wherever you are in your day, I hope you've managed to really take away some crucial learnings from this episode. Nalita, you've been an absolute dream to have on. Listeners, wherever you are, be bold. Keep taking from life's buffet and uh, <laughs> and dream dream big. <laughs> That's what I feel that, that, that we need to be left with. Thank you, Nalita. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And listeners, we will see you next time on The Aspect Podcast. Bye. Hi everyone, thank you for listening and watching episode 5 of the Aspect Podcast. Please like, follow and subscribe on your favourite listening app, you would make me very happy. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube, all of the socials are in the podcast description. Take care of yourselves, I'll be back soon.